Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to have you hold that for just a few moments. Uh, we'll get to that text as kind of the, uh, the core text of today's message, Philippians chapter 3. Uh, If you've been visiting uh, with us or maybe you've been traveling and you're coming back after being gone for a week or two, I want to tell you that in this series that we're doing on the Holy Spirit, the reason we went about this is felt like it was really important to instruct people who have never been introduced to the concept of what the Holy Spirit is and what He does for us, to remind those who were aware of it, and most of all, to renew all of us that it's the greatest gift that God has given us. Like every other great gift God has given us, it always finds its purpose in relationship. It always has to do with who we are and who we're engaged with and the joy of relationships. The greatest gifts God gives us in life are people. And the Holy Spirit is a person. And so what we did is we began to design this around the verbs, around the activities that the Holy Spirit offers us and whether or not we want to open ourselves up to receive it. And having received those gifts of the Holy Spirit, we receive Him. So I just want to review with you what the promised presence of the living God does for us. Uh, First of all, he reveals God to us because he is God, and he brings God's glory to our awareness. He shows us who the Lord is and gives us reasons to worship and love and appreciate. He opens our minds and hearts to the gospel hope in Jesus. We would not have an interest in Jesus if the Holy Spirit had not brought it to our attention and brought conviction to our lives as to our need for the work of Jesus on the cross. He redeems us into holy living by cleansing us of our sins through the blood of Jesus and setting us apart for something specific for God's kingdom. He equips us to perform good works, both to believers and unbelievers, in the church and outside. And he guides us. Michael DeFazio taught us this last week. He guides us into God's love, Christ's likeness, and onto our mission. So what the Spirit brings us is not optional. It's necessary to live the lives. In fact, I'd like to, to encourage you to consider that as we talk about this specifically today, that you might ask the Holy Spirit to no longer uh, allow you to no longer live by your own weak power and actually to be filled with Him so that you can live by a power greater. You see, the Holy Spirit came to bring us the lives that our King wants us to live, not just the lives of actions for His purposes, but a life that Jesus called abundant. And the only way we receive the abundant life is not by trying harder, it's by being filled with His Spirit and walking in His Spirit and by His Spirit. So having put all that together, what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like you to walk you through some of the things the Holy Spirit empowers us to do, things we don't do on our own, things we would never have without Him, but what He wants to offer you. And this is not going to be if you behave properly, this is actually going to be if you just open yourself up to the filling of the Spirit, what He might do in your life. Now, I'm going to share with you five this morning. Three of them, when we're done, you're going to be like, yeah, dude, sign me up. I want some of that. The other two are as good, but they require something of us and in a different way than you might imagine. So let's begin. What difference does the Holy Spirit uh, make in our lives? The Holy Spirit empowers us to live the way the King wants us to. And the first thing he does is he creates us to be a joyful people, a joyful people. And joy is something that's missing in most of our lives, if we're honest. 
Uh, we experience happiness. Happiness is controlled by certain things. I'm, I, I'm not proud to say this, but it is true. I can be made happy by a double cheeseburger. Can I have an amen? amen. Yeah, good, good play to wings and a good football game. I can be a happy guy for three and a half hours until my team loses, and then my happiness is gone with the wings. Are you with me? So we all understand that happiness is this thing that the world promises all the time. Get a new vehicle. Hey, what's new about this vehicle? We changed the headlights from square to round. I need that. Right? Because that'll make us feel happy because people will think we're loaded and we got a nice vehicle and we drive and whatever. You guys get it. Happiness is this external thing, but it doesn't last. When life is hard, the kind of vehicle you drive doesn't change anything. When life is hard and illness arrives or disappointment arrives or broken relations arrive, what you had for dinner becomes really inconsequential. Joy is that thing that is within you, that allows you to remember that no matter what my circumstances are, my God is faithful. My God will deliver. Even if my God allows me to die, he will raise me from death to life. It's an empowerment that, the, that God brings to us. We just don't make it up in our heads. I want you to notice with me in Acts 13, 52, just the statement in the book of Acts that is repeated regularly throughout the New Testament. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And I'll challenge you, you won't find too many, if any, passages in Scripture where joy is present that the Holy Spirit is not present. You see, it's not something we gin up. It's not something that we create. It's not something that we reach deep down inside and do a certain thing or say a certain thing or act a certain way, and all of a sudden we have joy. No, that's fake. That's called pretending. What we find is Jesus says that we don't have to work it up because it's like a fountain, an artesian well that develops from God within us and just pours out of us. Joy doesn't make sense to this world, yet joy is of the other world. And the Holy Spirit is the one who brings us this. In fact, in Galatians 5, Paul says, when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, you know that the Spirit is working in your life when you have joy and it makes no sense. When the doctor says bad news and you say God's good news. When your marriage is rough and your kids are in rebellion and life is hard. And yet you still have a joy knowing that even when you can't, God can, and God will deliver. It's a joy that's not compromised by crisis or illness, struggle or persecution. In fact, not too long ago in the church, we used to sing a song, and it was based on a scripture. And I love this song because it reminds me of my home church and all the people that poured into my life when I was hardly worth pouring into. And Paul wrote in 2 Timothy, it won't appear on the screens, but it's a song we used to sing in church, and it goes, I know who I have believed in. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. That's where joy is found, is knowing when I can't, God can. When I can't fix it, God's already on it. God is my hope. God is my joy. God is my peace. And the Holy Spirit is the one who brought you faith. The Holy Spirit awakens you to the concept of faith gives you the power to walk by faith, and while doing so, brings you joy. Sounds like a great deal to me. Secondly, he creates us to be a useful people. Now, I want to say this because in our life, sometimes it's hard, but work was never a punishment, and it isn't a punishment today. Work existed in the Garden of Eden before we ruined everything. They had a purpose by which they got up every day, and it was to work with God and his creation and have dominion over it, and we're still called to do that today. Nothing's changed. 
but we realize that we live in a broken world, and so sometimes work is hard. And I like to go into deep theological metaphors when I explain this, so let me explain it this way. You ever know that sometimes you have to eat your peas to be able to get to the pie? Anybody with me on this one? Right? That's deep enough for all of us. You know, I hate peas. I think they're, they're the cat of all foods. And so uh, because of that, uh, sometimes the kid, I had to eat the peas to get the pie. And sometimes the work that God calls us to do is hard, and it's difficult, and there are weeds, and there are bugs, and all the things that came with the fall in the garden. But yet, at the end of the day, it still brings us purpose. It still brings us a reason to be valuable, and we are called to be useful. Listen to how Paul says it to the Roman church in Romans 7. But now, by dying to what once, was, once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. When we're walking by the Spirit, we don't serve out of duty. We serve out of love and responsiveness. We do. I love Maggie's story that she just shared about that gentleman who was blessed by your generosity and just wanted, he learned a valuable lesson that sometimes the best blessing of being blessed is to give that blessing away, is to share it with others and serve others, not because he had to, because he wanted to. And it was just a beautiful moment of how God works in all of our lives that as we serve, we get served. And as others get served, they'll learn to serve. The Spirit's presence never enters our lives and lets us live selfishly. He just won't. He won't allow you to make it about you. He wants you to make it about others. And then when you find out making it about others, you actually find a useful purpose for your existence. Galatians 5 again, Paul says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, Serve one another humbly in love. So we make it about others. We have a purpose. So we have been given a joy which brings a hope in the midst of despair. And we have a usefulness that to be a blessing and not to be a burden. Thirdly, he creates us to be an influential people. And this is one of the beautiful things the Holy Spirit does, but he does it in a very backwards way. You see, we're not called to be important. We're called to be useful. So we're to be influential that we are here to make a difference. We are to be lights in dark places. We're not just to point people to the church where there's light here. No, no. We are to be light in dark places so that when people ask you, why do you have joy and why do you serve like you serve, you can point them to the light that drew you to Jesus. You can, you can pray that the Holy Spirit would impress upon them what he impressed upon you. You see, we're not called to be famous. We're called to be a blessing. We're not to be important. We're to be useful. I read once that the, there are many, many reasons why people are depressed. And I want to say this up front. Depression is real. Depression shows our weakness. It shows our brokenness. It shows that we live in a difficult time. And it's, it's tough sometimes. This adult thing is hard. And none of us were trained for it. And so this adulting is really, really difficult because we're broken and we're selfish and we struggle. Having said that, depression is a reality. It's, it's a truth and it's real. The reasons for depression are many. But the symptoms sound very similar. And these aren't all the symptoms. And I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but in my study, I found it fascinating that the the primary signs of depression in our lives, and having gone through this just even recently, it it resonates in my heart. The reason people are depressed is they they can't find joy. They, They don't have a joy inside that's motivating them. They're pursuing happiness, and it's temporary at best. They have, they have no guiding purpose or value. They're not sure why they're here. They're not sure what they're supposed to become. And lastly, they don't think they matter. 
And if you have no joy and you have no purpose and you don't think that your life is contributing to anything that's actually going to last, that by definition would make us all depressed, wouldn't it? And so what I find fascinating is if you look at what the Holy Spirit, just a sampling of what the Holy Spirit has promised to bring us, it's the answer to much of what depresses us. That the Holy Spirit brings us joy and a purpose and makes us matter. But he doesn't make us matter so that our names matter. He makes us matter so that Jesus matters. And that lasts beyond us because... I mean, not many people in this room could name their great-great-grandparents, could they? Does that mean they didn't matter? No, they were part of your lineage, part of your story, part of your journey. And so it's not about being famous. It's about making a difference in your lifetime to point people toward Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul was encouraging this church, and he said in verse 7, and so you become a model to all the believers. And in verse 8, he says, your faith in God has become known everywhere. I cannot be too emphatic about this. For those of you that have been here for the last 10 years, you know I repeatedly say this because I think it's crucial to understand. I don't want you just to trust my opinion on this. I want you to see evidence. If you read in the book of uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you read the disciples and you talk about all of their mistakes and failures and what they missed, if you would write down a list on a piece of paper and then read the book of Acts and look at those same men and women who were followers of Jesus and what they didn't get right in the Gospels, and what they got right in the book of Acts. I'll tell you the difference is Acts chapter 2, when they were baptized and received the gift of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling presence of God, they changed, and they changed significantly. In the Gospels, they doubted. They were often angry and wanted people removed. They were bigoted. They did not know how and did not pray, and they were selfish. If you go into the book of Acts and you read about those same men and women, what you'll discover is they were led by God. They were faithful, loving, welcoming, prayerful, and sacrificial. What changed? They didn't try harder. They didn't read a book. They were filled with the presence of God, and they opened themselves up to the presence of God, and they were altered in who they were. Oh, they were filled with joy. They had a purpose. And did they make a difference? Absolutely. Each and every one, the famous and the non-famous, all influence generations to follow Jesus, and that's why we're here too. You see, our faith cannot remain private if it is real. It just can't, and it won't. Timothy Keller uses this concept of prime truth. He said there are sort of like prime numbers. You know what a prime number is. It can't be divided. It is the number. It's not made up of other numbers. It is it. Well, these prime numbers matter in mathematics and science and so forth, and so they're proven to be true and regularly reliable. And there were prime truths that used to be established in culture. People believed there was a God, that Jesus was sent by God to save the world, and that there is a truth to live by. But Keller says today in our culture, those prime truths are not considered prime anymore. You can't simply say, I believe there's a God. There will be a debate today. There's always been a debate. But our culture may not debate us, but they live as if that truth isn't true, that that prime truth doesn't matter. If I stood on this stage and said, country music's the best kind of music, there would be some of you who would spit out your dip and say amen, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> Seriously. And you would go, well, that's your opinion, Mark. And I'd go, no, 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 I can prove it. No, I can't prove it. It's an opinion. It's not a prime truth. It's an opinion. And yet today, we are espousing opinions as prime truths, and we're denying prime truths. And so what I'm trying to tell you is the Holy Spirit wants you to 
live on the truth of the gospel in such a way that not only do you speak it, but you live it. And the Holy Spirit is the difference between us talking about it and living it. When the Holy Spirit fills us, off we go. And we will begin to demonstrate there is a God, Jesus saves, and there is a truth worth worth investing your life in. And so we don't have to always preach sermons. We just go out and demonstrate it by the way we live. Joyful, useful, influential. Who doesn't want that? I don't think there's a person in the room, even those of you who have not made a confession of faith in Jesus yet, that you're sitting here going, yeah, dude, I'd have some of that. The other two challenge us. They're as good, but they challenge us. See, the fourth one is this. He creates us to be an empowered people. He creates us to be an empowered people. You're like, why is that bad? I'd like power. I think that would be awesome. And see, this, is, this taxonomy that I'm sharing with you today is not complete. <clears throat> it's just what I've chosen to walk through with you. Trying to get you to see that what the Holy Spirit brings you in relationship is better than anything you can manufacture on your own. And empowerment is awesome. But what if I told you? What if I told you that the greatest exercise of the power of the Holy Spirit would be in your weakness and not in your success? Would you still be interested? What if I told you that the Holy Spirit most demonstrates your empowerment in the weaknesses that you struggle with, that don't make you famous or popular or prominent? And in those moments of weakness, your faith is most depicted. It doesn't take any faith when everything is perfect. It does take faith when even God goes silent. And this is what we're called, to walk by faith in the Spirit. You see, if we, follow the, if we follow God well and the Spirit fills us, everything should work out for us, right? Well, we live in what theologians call the already but not yet. Already, that all God is available to us now. There is no division between us. That by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are restored to the Father in full relationship. And that power is available to us, but it's not all realized yet. There is a sanctifying work that the Holy Spirit is doing in all of us. And my most sanctified day will be the day I die. And he will complete that work in me. And some of you might say, I wish God did it different. But it doesn't matter. He's chosen in his wisdom, which we trust as a truth, that God is good and God is wise. That if God delays to bring me into perfection... That's for a reason. And that reason is good for me, it's good for you, and most of all, it's good for a dying, lost world. That in weakness, I can show strength. The already, but the not yet. Philippians chapter 3. You've had it a while? Hopefully you didn't close it. Let's look at it. In Philippians 3, Paul says, verse 7, Whatever regains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings and become like him in his death, and so somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. In verses 1 through 6 of this chapter, Paul has established all the reasons why he was a somebody. He talks about his education. He talks about his accomplishments. He talks about the status he had in society. He talked about his rule-keeping and how he lived a self-disciplined life that let everybody look at Paul going, he's a dude. He had all of that. 
But what he found was, by living a life by his own power, he could not see Jesus, he did not know his need for Jesus, and he did not find any completeness in Jesus. In fact, he became an enemy of Jesus. But when he was made aware of the power of the resurrection, when he was made aware of the blood of Jesus Christ and the atoning sacrifice, and that he was raised again three days later, and he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, everything changed for him. He began to see his need for Jesus. He began to see Jesus. He began to hear Jesus, and he began to live in a power he did not have previously. And Paul then says in the verses we just read, when I measure what I was to what he's doing in me, everything I lost, my fame, my power, my place, everything I lost was garbage compared to what I got. What the Spirit does in us is he's challenging us to understand the power of the resurrection in church. It's very simple. If you want the power of the resurrection, you gotta die. Nobody needs resurrection power if you're still living the old life you've chosen to live. You gotta die to receive it. You gotta empty yourself to be filled. You have to sacrifice the things of this world that leave you empty and empty yourself of them so that you can be filled with the things that will never leave you empty, that will bring you joy and utility, that will bring you influence, will bring you power. But it's in the weakness when we surrender and we empty ourselves, when we wonder, but if I get rid of these things in my life that make me feel strong, if I get rid of these things that make me feel secure, if I get rid of these things I've worked my entire life to have, why should I get rid of those? Because they're your salvation. I can't get rid of my money because if I don't have my money, who's going to protect me? God. I can't get rid of this because if I get rid of this, then who am I? You're God's son, God's daughter. You see, it's by emptying ourselves that the Holy Spirit can fill us. What you give away, God will give more. And he will fill you and guide you. So what if I told you that the greatest sign of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life may be in your surrender rather than in your victory? See, we have to die to ambition and understand that Jesus taught this world will leave us empty, so we empty ourselves of this world. Paul then went to God, and he had a conversation with the Father, and he said, listen, I could really be crushing this ministry you've given me, and I'm grateful for it, but I could do more, I could do bigger, I could get more things done if you would take this thing from me. He called it a thorn in the flesh. We actually don't know what it is. There's speculation. I'm intrigued by the speculation, but truthfully, we don't know. But Paul said, there's something that's keeping me from really crushing my ministry. And God's response to him was, I don't need you to crush your ministry. I need you to trust me. And you may not get everything done you want to do, or you may, it may not be as impactful as you think it is, but if I've called you to it, just do it. In fact, he said it this way in 2 Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God does not keep us in a weak state because he's scared we'll become too big. God shows us in weakness how big he is. And he also understands that our ministry is best enacted when we need and rely on him fully. Not by our own intellect or our own understanding or our own abilities. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Let me translate this if I may. Paul says, do you remember when you wondered if God left you? Do you remember, if you, do you remember those moments that you wondered if God's power would be enough? 
Do you remember those moments in your life that you really wondered that if you totally surrendered by faith to what he was calling you to do, would he deliver? And he said, even in moments when you suffered, did you not feel the power of the Holy Spirit and the joy the Holy Spirit brings? And that church's response was, yeah. So then why would you go back to the old life when you could live by the power of the resurrection? Empowered to walk the life our king wants us to walk. In Romans 15, 13, Paul told that church in Rome, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. When do you need hope? When you have none. When you have nothing to hold on to and nothing to save you and nothing that, that seems to matter anymore, you need hope. And Paul says, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would overflow with hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ as being your resurrection too. Joyful, useful, influential, powerful. The last one is he creates us to be a prayerful people, a praying people. He, he wants us. Now, I know this is where a lot of people slam their brakes, but I'm telling you, the reason I put it at the fifth place is because I don't believe you and I will ever experience those other previous signs of the Spirit's presence in our lives without this without being a prayerful people. I don't think they're accidental. I think that part of our journey with God is communicating with God our hopes and dreams. If you don't know what that sounds like, read the Psalms, and you'll find out what it's like to talk to God in prayer when life is good and life is hard and life is questionable. You'll learn a language of prayer. It doesn't have to be yours, but it will speak your heart. In Ephesians 6.18, Paul wrote, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. You and I are not simply to believe in prayer as an emergency parachute. We are to pray, to engage God with our minds and souls. Michael told us last week when he talked to us about being guided by the Spirit. Michael said that we should prepare ourselves, we should listen, and we should obey. And I'm here to suggest this morning that the way you prepare yourself to be filled and led and guided by the Holy Spirit is to pray. It's to ask, it's to request, it's to open yourself. It's to be honest with God in your journey. It's to identify. Ask God, show me those things that I'm holding on to so desperately that I won't empty myself of them because they're my salvation. Is it my money? Is it my marriage? Is it my children? Is it my job? Is it my, my place in life? What am I holding on to that I think will really save me? And the rest of this is just nice and good and moral. You see, we're to pray. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Because by praying, we will prepare ourselves to listen. So you have permission when you're praying to count it as prayer and never say a word. Sometimes a prayer can be a sigh. Sometimes it can be tears. Sometimes it can be laughter. Sometimes it can be a song. Sometimes it could be something you write down. It, it could be so many things where your spirit connects with the Holy Spirit in you. And thoughts and ideas and joy and peace and all come pouring out of you. And you're connecting with God through praying in the Spirit in all kinds of prayers and requests. Remember that when Paul says that one of the first signs that the Holy Spirit had entered you is you began to cry out, Abba, Father. Not that you had permission to, but you began to cry out to God instead of this king on a throne who could condemn you to death, you began to cry out to your heavenly Father. That Jesus introduced us to this concept. And Paul says when the Holy Spirit enters you, one of the first signs is you begin to call out to God as your dad, not this regal monarch who can destroy you. And if that how it, 
this began, then let us never deny that to be filled with the Spirit and to walk in the Spirit is to continue to have a conversation with a good, good Father who loves and cares for us. And so we pray at all times. It's not a secret code. There's not a secret society of prayers. It's just God's children calling out to listen to his voice, to respond to his voice, to seek his voice, and to ask. Joyful, useful, influential, powerful, prayerful. What I like to do when I write, because to persuade someone, you persuade them to do one of three things, to do, to think, or to become. I think this morning, in my preparation, it was easy to answer all three of those. So I'd like to give you something to think to become and to do. But I'd like to do it by asking you some questions. When it comes to your head and the thinking part of your faith, faith does not ask you to be anti-intellectual. It asks you to reason. I want to ask you this. The Spirit wants to guide you into a life you never imagined, a life our King has set before us as a gift and not a punishment. Do you want that? And when it comes to your hearts and becoming, the Spirit wants to empower you as a tool of God's glory to show people who Jesus is, to show people who the Father is, and to live in such a way that you influence them toward the kingdom. Would you like to become that? And the Holy Spirit wants you to ask Him to guide you, to fill you, to correct you, to lead you. See, to walk with the Spirit is also to walk in the Spirit. Could you pray the prayer today? Could you pray that I want to be a reflection of Jesus and not an advertisement for broken nature? That I want to share the goodness and glory of Jesus to the world, not the image I have created of who I wanted to be seen as? That I I want not to be famous, to be lesser so that Jesus can become more. Can you pray that prayer? Can you empty yourself and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you so that all he has for you is all you ever live for. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.